0: Next, we have electric intercourse. Electric, intercourse, electric intercourse. So, I'll let Richard start us off on that one. What do you think of the heretofore unknown
1: studio version of Electric Intercourse? This was literally the song I've been waiting for for, I don't know, ever. Ever. However, like, when I finally got it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, eh. I mean, it's, 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 it's starting to grow on me, but I've heard the other versions of it so much, and it, the other versions sound like a completely different song. And, and this version, the first time I heard this version of it uh, was when they dropped it on iTunes, you know, as a single. And to me, it almost sounded like a... Person like a caricature of Prince. It almost sounded like somebody else trying to be Prince. Like the huh. it, has, it has every it has everything that classic Prince has in it. You know the the moans and the the lilting of the voices and the the layered background vocals. But for some reason, it just hit me like you know it. It almost sounded fake to me. It, it didn't sound like the real song to me because there's something about it. It's growing on me now, but. I don't know. It, I was I was literally the first first few times that I listened to it when it when it came out. Uh, I was actually kind of sad when I heard it. Really, interesting. Yeah, it, it was a it was a big letdown.
0: Huh. Well, I'm glad to hear it's growing on you, though.
1: Oh, absolutely, Bernie. Was this a grower
2: for you too, or? Um, this is a. I did, well, first of all, I didn't even know this song existed. I would always, in the back of my mind, hope that it did. Because always, I'm always curious to hear the studio versions. But I didn't know that it existed. It, 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 I guess it's, it's kind of a grower. I guess you could say that. It's just so drastically different. Um, you know, there, there's some... This is, you know, proof positive that a song done live by Prince is a completely different song than a studio song. Um, and, and like Rich said... Um, the, uh, we're so used, we're so we're so jaded by the live version and how good that was, that when you hear this one, unless you're, you're the female persuasion, <laughs> um, you're not going to get all that much out of it. It's going to be one of those, yeah. you know, it may, might maybe make you scratch your head, being like, I don't know if I need to be listening to this, you know. It's almost, uh, um, it's, almost it's almost like Baby,
1: Baby Part Two.
2: Right, right. It, you know, it's not that it's a bad song. It's a great song. Um, but, you know, um, I, I drew comparisons to If I Had a Harem, the studio version versus Blues and C yeah. that he would play live. If I Had a Harem studio version, completely different song, same lyrics, but completely different song, completely different vibe, completely different everything than what is played live. Um I think this is a matter. This song is a matter of scope. This particular version of it, when played live, he's playing. He's singing to everybody out there. He's singing to and and to be a little bit more specific, he's singing to all the women out there that are watching him when he's playing this live. When he's playing this one here, this is specific to the one female listener that's listening to this at that time. And and um, it's very personal in the way it's sung. But you're right, it has, uh, you're definitely right, Rich, that this has all the exaggerated princely, princisms in terms of the way he he sings. It's got them all there. And for some people, it might be too, um, God, I can't believe I'll be saying this, too, too effeminate a yeah. Prince, and, and it might even kind of turn them off. Um, there's not much more for this here. I mean, this is, it's basically sexiness for the ladies. But it's interesting enough for me to score this one a seven out of ten because, really, as far as I know, nobody knew this existed. Um, What? In fact, I believe I may have read it or or heard somewhere, or probably read it that even that when Wendy and Lisa would talk about this track, they would reference the live version of it, and they weren't even aware of a studio version, which is not hard to believe because this is all strictly a this track here is a Prince only track. He's doing everything on it. It's not yeah. overly complex. It's something that he could have done in his sleep. So well, for, um, for, it's, it's for years, years they thought they, I'm sorry, for, for years they but, thought
1: the uh, rehearsal version of it was the studio version of it. Right, and that that
2: was the one. The, that what, the one, with just like the other live versions were tweaked for an album, and that's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I expected when, when I heard this. I go, oh, we're going to get this, the the live version that's been tweaked to sound better you know, like uh, all, all Day, All Night, those type of songs, you know, that were right. recorded live and then tweaked out and, and just uh, filled out even further, principled even further, And where this one was completely different. So I was caught off guard with that, and that's where the score of 7 out of 10 comes from, more out of like, wow, I didn't know this existed. This was a nice surprise. So that's my take on it.
0: Nice, nice. Well, for, for me, I'll say that this was the first taste that Warner Brothers actually gave us of Purple Rain Deluxe. So when it dropped, it was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And for me personally anyway. And I was just, it might have, part of it might have been the euphoria of hearing something quote unquote new from Prince. But I was just over the moon about this track. Uh, as soon as that wind drum hits, I was in it, you know, and I like the, uh, the intimacy of the studio track, like Ernie was saying, in contrast to the, to the more inclusive tone and vibe of the, of the live rendition, this is more, the studio version is more intimate, and more, more, I'll, I'll give that to you, Ernie, more effeminate, uh, but to me, it was like a, uh, it was almost like a mixture of the beautiful ones and something in the water does not compute sound wise. And of course, I'm not saying it measures up to those songs, but uh, vibe wise, it was just a mixture, a mixture of those two for me. And it was when I first heard it, it was mainly about just hearing something new for the first time. Uh, from France, such as passing was, was mind-blowing. Uh, so I really like the track. It's classic, I think. It's one of the standouts on the disc for me. And, and, you know, like people were talking about it on the org, it's so different from the live version, but actually I think that's one of its virtues because it shows just what kind of range Prince had as an artist, and what he could do with his own songs, and other people's songs too, but especially his own, um, how he could do just vastly different, uh, different takes, different flavors, and different colors with the same song, live and in studio. So, it's it's a great track to have. Uh, I think the sound quality is pretty darn good. Uh, yeah. I think it's one of the better sounding tracks on the disc, and uh, I'm I'm happy with it. It's one of the highlights for me.
2: Yeah, so you know, I remember for for many years I would I, I would hear the live version, and this is a totally different artist of "I Want You to to Want Me" from Chief Trick, right? And right. I think maybe just like about five six years ago. I stumbled across a studio version of it and thought what the heck is this? All the soul ran out of it, man. There's, there's no life to the to the studio version. I didn't quite think about it here, but it, but it was just as alienating when I heard this versus the live. And um I'm so I'm just so jaded to the live that it's hard for me to to hear it in this fashion. I have to hear it a lot more because I really have to think of this, them as two completely different songs. And when I think when I get to that point, I really have more appreciation for this track.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I've done is I've just decided they're they're different songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. As, as far as the sound quality goes, you, know, you you mentioned how it was the better sounding of all the other tracks. I think it was because this song was completed and. Tracks to be on Purple Rain, where most of these songs are, they didn't really get past demo stage, you know, they were just, they were done. Right, right. They they never were, they never were prepared to be on albums, so.
2: Because there's definitely a difference in in the quality, I agree with that, yes.
0: Right. So next we have Our Destiny and Roadhouse Garden. Sort of two tracks squeezed together in the suite and I'm thinking of Seth's comment earlier, you know, why are these two tracks linked together? Well, they've been linked together for, as far as we know, the the entire history of both songs. So, in, in Prince's mind, it was natural to link them together. I don't know why but maybe maybe Ernie can break it down, break down the, the messages of the songs and and find some uh, gem of wisdom in there as to why they're they're put together the way they are. But our <laughs> destiny, Roadhouse Garden, two songs. Our destiny obviously is quite short by by you know the standards of a normal song you would think of, uh, and it it's set apart by the fact that. Lisa Coleman is on vocals rather than Prince. And as far as the uh, audio files go in the fan base, this was the one track that people had the most problem with as far as sound quality was Our Destiny. They said the sound is all over the map and, and just terrible. And quite a few of the comments that I read actually deleted... The R Destiny portion of their MP3 in their playlists because wow. they said they said the sound quality was that bad. So to my ears, I can't hear what the hell they're talking about. Uh, I think it sounds fine to my ears, but maybe maybe a little muddy. Maybe one of the muddier tracks on the release, but certainly not horrid enough to justify absolutely deleting it altogether. The Roadhouse Garden album that was announced in 1998 has been my personal holy grail for as long as I can remember. Well, ever since 1998, when it was announced, it's been the one thing that I've wanted to hear most in the pantheon of Prince music. So having the title track... Finally, in the quality that it's in, is really really cool, and I really love the imagery of the song. The whole idea of a of a, a roadhouse, you know, sort of like a a nightclub or a dive bar in the middle of a Garden of Eden type imagery. Uh, I love that idea of uh, a place, a physical place, actually being a muse. For, for music and for creativity and for positivity and also for, for, uh, faith as well because he says in the lyrics, this is the place where evil dies. So I really love the lyrics, the story, the imagery of it, and, uh, I love this track. This is another standout for me. And I would, I would give, uh, Roadhouse Garden on its own probably an 8 out of 10. Uh maybe that's maybe that's overvaluing it, but again with the holy grail status of the Roadhouse Garden album in my uh in my mind having the title track is is an absolute gift. So I would give this an eight out of ten. Uh the R Destiny I would give a six point five or seven out of ten. Uh, just because of the brevity of it and also some of the complaints about the sound quality have, have gotten to me and even, even though I can't hear it, I'm kind of influenced by the, the group to think, well, maybe this is not as good quality as it could be. So I would give I would give that six, six out of ten and, uh, eight out of ten for Roadhouse Garden, but I love, I love the track and uh those are my thoughts on it. Ernie, what do you think of our destiny and Roadhouse Garden?
2: Well, to try to answer what you say what you asked in terms of lyric lyrically how they would be intertwined, I can't. I don't see any real way to two okay. together. It's too to All right. I mean yeah, d I'd, I'd have to stretch, let's put it that way. Um right. but but yeah, uh these are great songs. I mean I For me, at this point now, because you know it has to be out there uh, or has to exist, I want to hear a studio version with Prince's vocals on "Our Destiny." But that's not what we have. We have Lisa's vocals on it, and I'm okay with that. I, I, you know, it made it a little bit easier for me to understand every lyric that's being said, Um, and um, you know, it's a clearer copy now, and it allows you to hear the instrumentation. And as you know by now, I'm big on that. i got to be able to hear my instruments and and what's breaking down and what's complex and what isn't complex and and the timing of the song. Um, You know, the unfortunate thing here and that that, that is mentioned and it's it's almost like the elephant in the room when it comes to this particular version of the track is the horrible editing job done to put it together from one song to another. It is terrible. Um, yeah. yeah. Props to props to Casey Rain. We all know Casey Rain, and so props to Casey Rain for for mentioning this. Uh, and I'm sure you well, you guys may have heard uh, Jill Jones' version of this of uh yeah. Our Destiny. Okay. It, 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 he mentioned this, and I went back and listened to it, and he's 100 percent correct. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to Joe Jones' version of Our Destiny, which I think is actually clearer than this version. But you hear that one and listen to it on headphones. As it's fading out, you get the drum beat right at the end and as it's fading out, you can hear roadhouse garden kick in that tells you exactly how this track should have been sequenced from one to the other um this yes. this track begs uh somebody to edit it to the point with with the like with one of the uh other ones i think guess i think it's from the boot um ah what is it perfect Unreleased? um that's where you from oh, oh, there. Oh. Yeah, it fades out and with a drum beat. Somebody's got to loop that yeah. drum beat and match it up the way it is on Joe Jones' version because the drum beat fits perfectly into Roadhouse Garden. And, um, well, a,
1: couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, there was a there was a, a release uh, of the Lisa version of it as well, and it it fades out just like the Joe Jones does, and you can hear it going into Roadhouse Garden, but it fades oh, okay. out. So there you go. And I'm I'm well, almost, I'm almost positive that's the one they took this version from.
2: They just cut the fade out. They cut it off mm-hmm. and chopped and, and started it right at the beginning of that other. Right, because I really didn't hear much of a difference from that version of this. And see, it's a, no. it's a shame because this was a, a track to be to segue into, not unlike say the way new position goes into I wonder you. Yeah, your new position right. goes down to a beat, and it goes right into I wonder, the I wonder you seamlessly. Yeah. This is what this was supposed to do, but it doesn't. And I'm sure, me, all,
1: I'm sure we've all we've all heard the uh, the the live. Um, concert where he plays these two songs, right? Right. And you see that they go right into each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, and it works A lot lot of people... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people can't figure out why those two songs are stuck together like that. And I I guess maybe they haven't heard anything before. I guess not. I mean, if they're looking for some (laughs) kind
2: of lyrical rhyme or reason for it, there really isn't. But musically, it works. But the musical join is taken out in this version, so I can understand what people are saying, I don't get it, I don't know why they're together, it doesn't make sense, well no it doesn't it It does not make sense but they're supposed to go together because one flows into the other Um, you know and this was around the time when he was doing that he was doing, uh, I'm trying to think of another trio of songs, There, there are bootleg ones that he did that as well I just, it just, my mind goes blank on it right now, but he was real good at doing that, taking one song going to another song, going to another song, almost like a, a a suite. And that's what he was doing here. And it's unfortunately didn't happen. So for me, uh, it it is, it's neat to hear, especially Roadhouse Garden, because it's obvious they're from different sources, but to hear Roadhouse Garden as clear as it is, and it's, and it's really a a joyful song, a positive, joyful song. Uh, so having those in there, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, um, Chris is very much in, in, in line with me on this one. Seven out of ten for this, uh, together, and it, it's okay. It just, it really missed the mark because it could have been an eight had it been joined properly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Richard, any other thoughts you want to give about our destiny at Warhouse house Garden? Uh,
1: only some, only some, uh, some half-baked facts. I'm, I have a lot of information in my head, and I have no idea where they came from, because I read it years ago. But from what I heard, when... And I'm not sure if you talked about this already, because my phone cut out when when you were talking, Chris. Um, Okay. uh, um, Roadhouse Garden was written... It was originally what Paisley Park was supposed to be. That when he wrote that song, he was singing about the place that he was going to build to... Y- you know live his mu- musical career at so that's what that song hmm. was supposed to be written for oh wow I- yeah I- that you know. makes sense yeah it so really puts it in the, con- the context yeah and, uh, and some, uh, somewhere along the line I guess he wrote the song Paisley Park and there it went but well I
0: yeah I did it. talk earlier about how the the fact that I really love the the imagery and uh, the vibe of the, of the <laughs> song about a about a place, you know, that's basically a nightclub or a, you know, a dive bar or a recording studio all rolled up into one in this, in amongst this environment of almost like a Garden of Eden. So, yeah, that's exactly, that totally relates back to the concept of Paisley Park. So it's, it's fascinating to learn that The Roadhouse Garden concept essentially evolved into the idea behind Paisley Park. That's that's fascinating to me. But yeah, uh, yeah, I really love the song and and uh,
1: honestly, glad to have it on the disc. And honestly, sometimes when I listen to the song, that that enters my mind, and it it actually you know it makes me sad sometimes. Yeah. Because yeah, I know. I I don't. I don't know. You know. I'm a very emotional yeah. awesome person since he since he uh, since he died.
0: Yeah, I mean, no, I mean I think I think we all are to a degree, you know, like like um people have asked me how are we ever gonna get over his passing and I'm like well we can accept it, we can sort of move on, but totally getting over it I don't think is is possible. Uh yeah. at least for me. So yeah, but hearing songs like this, that are like Ernie said, positive and, and a very positive, upbeat song, upbeat message. Um, it's you know it's it's food for the soul, as far as I'm concerned, and and that's that's one thing about the legacy of Prince that will be one of the most important things about his legacy is his his music as a whole is food for the soul. So and I definitely think Roadhouse Garden fits into that that mold. So great song, glad to have it officially on disc. Yep. And next we have Possess. Actually presented as the nineteen eighty three version But Prince Vault, the website, I'm sure we're all familiar with that site. Great source of information. Uh, actually says it's in fact the version recorded in March of 84. So it basically, it basically is the instrumental version that we know from Bootlegs with Prince's vocal added. So, and I know some people in the fan base were really really miffed at this because again, we go back to the argument of studio versus live, and the live rehearsal versions of possessed are more they're they're a little bit grittier and slower and more uh, James Brown type funk cams closer to the version that we have on the Syracuse DVD. And this is basically essentially, is uh, the the uh, instrumental take of the song with vocals added. And yeah, I don't it, have a problem exact... with it. I think it's a...
1: What's that? I'm sorry. It's it's the exact version that you hear when Morris is putting the moves on Apollonia in Purple Rain. That's... But it's just with yes. the vocals on it. Yes.
0: I don't have a problem with it. I'm happy with any and all versions of the song that we could get. I think there's a frenetic manic energy to the track that that fits the title very well and the message of the song. And when he spells out Possessed in the song, in that sort of demonic demonic, uh, voice, it's uh, quite a moment, one of the standout moments on the disc, I think. But uh, Richard, I'm going to throw it over to you. What do you think of this version of Possessed?
1: I love it. This is this is probably the one on the on the CD that I play the most. That, okay. That key, that that keyboard lick just gets it gets stuck in my head, and all day I'm just hearing it. And I, as soon as I I can get home, I gotta gotta put it right back on again. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely. And it's got a lot of lyrics in it that uh I've not heard before. Like even in the other versions, they're 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 slightly different. So yeah, yeah I was very happy to hear it. Very happy to hear it when people talk about they don't think that these songs were okayed by Prince to be put on this CD. This right. Is a song that, this is the song that kind of sticks out most to me because, you know, he was so religious to have a song about being possessed. Um, it, 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 right. You know, this, I mean, just the lyrics where he says he's got, you know, somebody inside of him and all that kind of stuff, that, that seems like something that he wouldn't have been okay with. Mm-hmm. Right. And between, between this track and Darling Nicky,
0: and We Can Fuck, I think if it would have been released around the, t- the same time, all three tracks, I think Tipper Gore's head would have exploded. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's another uh, that's another discussion entirely, but I think, yeah, you talk about the Triple Threat Tour, that would have been some Triple Threat, Possessed, We Can Fuck, and Darling Nicky. I mean... Come on! I mean, craziness. But Ernie, what are your thoughts on this track?
2: Um, you know, this this is. I- I'm glad, Richard. You said what you said on in terms of this being one of your favorite ones because I think very highly of this track. I think this, um, and and it's. I, I I, I'm coming at this track from an extremely nostalgic point of view, because right. I'm totally taken back to Moore's throwing Mac on Apollonia, uh-huh. to the movie in general, to those scenes right there, and just how perfectly, how I love the way the song just worked at that scene, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what the song was, I, I, I assumed it was Possessed because it was on the closing uh, credits, uh, of the movie And I go oh, okay I guess that was possessed The only one I don't know Is matched up to anything So it must have been that song the, Until I he- heard it On, uh, on Syracuse uh, VHS And I go Oh okay That was it Good And then I would go back And watch the movie some more And I'm like Oh I like the song I like always singing Then we get the instrumental I'm like Oh yeah this is, this is it right here This is it And I'm reminded of uh, Again Computer Blue When you go to the Quote EP version of it Where you get the version Where there is no hallway speech But the music is there and the music is there, and, the, and then afterwards you're like, holy crap, this guy had the, mu- the lyrics in, in mind, and they were going to fit perfectly over this, this track, and he knew exactly what he was doing. When I heard oh. Possessed, when I heard the instrumental on Possessed, I thought, this is, this is how this is. This is an instrumental. That's, there's, okay, this is the instrumental version of Possessed. There are no lyrics on it. This song does not belong with lyrics, because that's how it is. And then I hear this version, which was a total surprise to me, and I'm like, Oh, what? There's lyrics on this, and and it it works, and they match, and 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 it it just totally blew my mind. Um, it and yes, even with my daughter, my 12 year old daughter, we were listening to it the other day, and and when we got off, I think we went to the store or something, and I told her, Hey, that song's still in my head. Do 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 She's I know me too, Dad because <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> licks that just stays stuck in your head. Um, and, and original the original instrumentation from Nostalgic Factor, it was an 8 out of 10. The original instrumentation, it only goes up a few notches when you add lyrics to it. It should have been included in the Purple Rain soundtrack proper, and it wasn't. I, I know that they said that that album should not have been a double album. That was never intended to be a double album. I call a flag on the plane called bullshit because it, I think it should have been a double album. It easily could have been a double album. Songs like this would have taken that thing over the top. You know? And the original, like I said, the instrument, instrumental is an 8 out of 10. I have to give this version, because I love it so much, a 10 out of 10. I like this track. Wow!
0: Perfect score! (laughs) <laughs> yep. wow that's agree. nice so yeah it, like you say it instantly takes you back to that moment in the movie with Morris knocking on Apollonia and it's just an iconic scene in the movie right before he hits her with the huge dose of the beautiful ones that sweeps her off her feet okay. and uh, a yeah. great moment in the
2: movie more's giving her the chili sauce right there, man, I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> right, exactly, 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 so, yeah, and another one, I, I'll say this, for all these tracks, well, with the exceptional one, which, which, it's, it's coming up shortly, uh, and I don't, we'll spend all of two minutes on it, because it's, I, it's just a short be- track, and
2: yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's
0: made for Vanity Six. I think you know which one I'm talking about, but oh, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Next is "Wonderful Ass." This is the one, the most debated track on social media, as far as when it actually dates from, because for years bootleggers and hardcore fans thought this version was from the parade era. But the wire notes actually say that it was recorded in early 83. So either the bootleggers and the enthusiasts have had it all wrong, or WB has it wrong, or something. But uh, whatever the case is, I'm glad to have this on the disc because... It's one of my favorite outtakes ever. There's there's not much to say about this song. It, it speaks for itself. It's just, ooh, it's just funky. You just got to listen to it. I can't really describe it in words. But maybe you guys can do it better than me, and I'll piggyback on some of your comments. But this song is just great. It's one of the best songs in uh, Princess Unreleased. History, and now it's been officially released in good quality. This is one of the best quality outtakes on this set, I would argue, uh, sound-wise. Uh, it sounds really good, and it's just, it's just funky. It gets you up and moving. The lyrics are, are classic prints, and it's so nonchalant, the way he says, you've got a wonderful ass, and it, it brings us, smile to my face and I I just love the track it's it's funky it's infectious the groove is sick
1: I don't know what more to say Richard what do you think of Wonderful Ass? This has always been one of my favorite tracks and sadly because of that reason this is the one I skip the most when I'm listening to this CD because I've had it for so long and I've listened to it so many times that I just want to get on to the next one that I haven't heard a whole lot but everything you said is is right on. This song, the bass line, the drums are all classic Prince. The Ooh. Uh, crazy ass crazy ass lyrics that are in there. I love how he's, huh. he's doing. He's doing a classic Prince move. He's he's letting you in. He's letting you a little bit behind the curtain. He's telling you what kind of person he is. Well, he's telling the woman what kind of person he is. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm quirky. I got quirky ways and all this. And then bam, he throws something in there to kind of like throw you off a little bit. Like oh oh, by the way, you got a wonderful
2: ass. You know, right. Exactly. You know, wait. Throws wait. <laughs> Throw right? the curveball at the end. Yep. Yeah. Right. You know, right.
1: Right. Serious information, and then bam, another time. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was confused it, about that too. I didn't I didn't think this was written in this era either. I actually thought it was written for maybe the Dream Factory or something. I thought it was even later, like you know, fairly close to the Revolution, waking like up one of the you know. Yeah. Well, the like I
0: say, the theory amongst collectors and bootleggers, was that this version always dated from 86. And uh, now I'm reading on Prince Vault, and in the liner notes that it dates from early 83, and the song was written about vanity and Wendy, yeah. because, of course, Lisa and Prince shared co-lead vocals on this song. And I heard Lisa say in an interview that that her she was singing about Wendy and Prince was singing about Vanity. I also saw a tweet on Twitter by Jill Jones saying that Vanity used to play this song nonstop when Prince gave her the, the song. She used to play it nonstop backstage. On the Triple Threat Tour, the nineteen ninety nine uh, Triple Threat Tour, so it does date wonder, back from then. Um, I wonder if and, this
1: is—I wonder if this is that first version, or if this is like a final version of it.
0: Right, exactly. It, and, and,
1: you know, it may have been recorded back in eighty three, but I don't—I can't—I can't imagine this is the eighty three version. It just doesn't sound like it. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anything else on Purple Rain or any of the B sides or anything that came out in that era. It just doesn't sound like it. It sounds more I don't, not jazzy or European, but it sounds more like a parade or a sign of the times era. You know, it's got a, it's just got a different feel to it than than the stuff that came out mm-hmm. in the nineteen ninety nine Purple Rain era. <laughs> I imagine because of the title and the
0: subject matter that. This is the only reason that it wasn't a B-side, because to my estimation, it should have been a B-side. I mean, that's that's the quality of this song, is that it's one of those classic Prince jams that I think most fans would say that they at least like, if not love. So, Ernie, where do you fall with wonderful Ass?
2: Wonderful ass. Well, I mean, there's not much more to add to it. Uh, the great things about this particular version of it is that for me, <clears throat> because the quality is better on it, you, the guitar is more pronounced, as well as the professional oh. accent. And, and that's all you need to be pronounced on this song, you know. I mean, lyrically, yeah, it's silly because he because of how he he compliments and then at the end throws that curveball talking about girls' ass and I mean, but that's... That's Prince, you know. I mean, you can see him that day and night, you know. And but that that still takes back seat to the fact that musically this is very it's sonically pleasing. It just works. Um, and w- when I did the review last, I, I likened this to a movie that 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 you like so much that regardless of where the movie is at, it could be five minutes left, it could be an hour left, you're still going to watch it to the end. Because you like, oh, right. that's, how, that's how I have this song on that kind of regard. You know, I, I could be, I, I could have the song playing, I get to work and the song ain't over yet and I turn it off and it's still there waiting for me. When I get back in, I can put it on and I gotta finish it off. With, I gotta finish where it, where, it, where it left off. I gotta finish hearing it. And then I'll repeat the track. I won't dare go back and start over in the beginning or, you know, to hear it all clean again. No, that's blasphemous. This song is funky. You gotta let the funk go. And um, that that's how that's how I, I am with this one. Um, this is like you guys said. This is classic Prince, classic vibe, uh, and I would dare say be a song that would be um, just as relevant on a dance floor today. You know, oh, yeah. on a funky dance floor, on a funky yeah. dance floor. All right. <laughs> and um, <laughs> with that with that said, uh, this is another banger. And it is another ten out of ten. How can it not? Nice, be?
0: nice. I totally agree with that. Awesome. And then we go from and, uh, and with the, the, the- high of highs to right <laughs> probably the most throwaway track on the whole set. Velvet Kitty Cat. I'll just start with this one. Biggest swing, yeah, to bed. Velvet Kitty Cat. It's cute. It's short. It's a Vanity Six demo. And that's pretty much that's pretty much it in a nutshell. A little Rockabilly song, but not as memorable as Rockabilly song as, say, Delirious or even the B side Horny Toad, which I think is severely underrated by fans. I love Horny Toad, of course. We've already established earlier that I love Philly Ass Prince, so of course I would love Horny Toad. Velvet Kitty Cat is a throwaway, and I expect it was on included on this set just because it was a shorter song and they needed shorter songs to put the longer songs around, so I don't really think it has a place in the set. I'm happy to have it, but it's probably the the most ill-fitting track on the whole collection and the most skippable for me, and that's what I'll say. Uh Ernie, what are your thoughts on Velvet Kitty Cat?
2: Well, title-wise, I, I, I was always intrigued by this title. You know, you hear all these different titles that, that of songs, and you're like, huh, I wonder how that sounds. This was one of those. Um, right. This is... Um, Scarlet Pussy's innocent little sister, <laughs> untainted, untainted.
0: I love that. Kitty I
2: love that. Great line. Right. I mean, you go from Scarlet Pussy to Velvet Kitty Cat, and that's that's where we're at with this. And it's, you know, it's not that it's a bad song. Don't give me. Wrong. It's not a bad song. It, it, it's it's an earworm type of song because he keeps repeating Velvet Kitty Cat over and over again, and. But it really seems like a, a, a song that maybe, uh, if, anything, if any of these songs seems like a demo, it's this one. It seems like a song where he was just trying a sound out, you know, just experimenting with the sound. Right, and, right. And it turned into two minutes and change of this. Um, it just kind of repeats over and over again, and that's about it, you know. I, he could do this in his sleep. Score-wise, this is the lowest score of this here because it's new to me. It gets some points, but it's a 6 out of 10. Nothing fabulous, nothing bad. Just something that I think many artists nowadays could not do, but something Prince could do in his sleep. And I yeah. think it was just playing around, is what I think.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Richard, what do you
1: think? Well, like you said, it, it, it was written for, for Vanity Six. To be on their album, and it's kind of a throwaway. But if you're really serious and you're really honest with yourself, most of the songs on Vanity Six's album were throwaway songs. It's true, very true. So, so I mean, and how it didn't become a, at least a B-side, I don't know. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, the, I'm gonna go the other way that, that you all went. And I'm gonna say I really enjoy this song for what it is. You know, I'm, I'm not once I once I heard it the first time, I said, okay, this is what this is. I'm not expecting anything out of it. So when it comes up, it's short, it's quick, it's in the family of uh, tambourine or tick-tick-bang. It's something that when it's on, you're like, okay, you know, you're bobbing your head to it, and then when it's over, you don't think about it anymore, but it's a pleasant little, it's almost a segue in between other songs, and I I like it for that, and it's funny. It makes me laugh. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, yeah. I
0: didn't mean to undersell it, but I mean, yeah, yeah it is a it's a cute little song. Uh, it's got, you know, Prince almost almost speaking
1: the lyrics, pretty much. It would it wouldn't even have been as good as it is if Vanity Six had done it though. It's it's the right. personality that comes through on it that makes it enjoyable for me. Right? right. Just, exactly. You just, exactly. You can just pick. You can just yeah. picture him being silly. You know. Next we have Katrina's paper doll. Katrina makes paper dolls. One <laughs> doll for every
0: day. One of the more intriguing titles, I think, in Prince's catalog. And Katrina, as hardcore fans would probably surmise, refers to Vanity, whose real name was Denise Katrina Matthews. Of course, early on in the conception of Purple Rain film, Apollonia's part was intended to go to Vanity and Katrina's Paper Dolls might have been a song conceived by Prince early on in the preparation for the film when Vanity was still attached. I think it's an interesting song. Uh, One of the highlights for me, just because of Prince's vocal delivery, it sounds really sonically pleasing to my ears, really kind of laid back and, and... It's kind of French in storyteller mode. And when I first heard it, I kind of likened it sonically to a song like 17 Days. But 17 Days seems a little colder and more methodic, where this is a little bit warmer with the way the the bass line is played. And it just seems like a, a warmer cousin or relative to 17 Days. It's a, it's a good song. It's, it's one of the, one of the tracks that ranks in the middle of the, the, the pack for me on, on disc two. But I enjoy it quite a bit. So Ernie, what do you think of Those Paper Dolls?
2: This one is a, it's a grower. It's definitely a grower for me. Um, it, it's, it's a catchy song it's become more catchy for me even from when I did the review on the on Prince podcast it's more catchy for me now uh it's it's a sweet song and it's almost somber in the way he sings it you know but um, i i I don't know there's something about the way it's arranged that that makes me like it more today than I did Friday you know, what yeah, I know? Yeah. and um, and it, this, again, this is another one whose track title I always wondered about as well. I go, oh, I would see the track title in different places, oh, Katrina goes, right. I wonder, wonder what that sounds like. Because that, that title is so interesting. And I'm finding that the song is more interesting as it goes. It's not a very long song. You know, it's, it's groundbreaking. And I'll go back to what I said on the other one. It's not a groundbreaking song it's, by any means. It's, it's a song that he could do at any time. It, it's not a funky song. It's a sweet song. And, and it's got a neat melody, and he's, his voice sounds really good on it. Um, it's easy on the ears. It's an accessible song. And uh, the sparse playing is a good example of less is more. And, um, well, you know, the only thing I, I have with this one, and, and this is a thing that, to me, plagues so many Prince songs, is that the song barely starts getting a, a little bit more interesting at the end. Like, ah. When right. it was starting to build to something, it, it ends. And I hate it when his songs do that. It, you know, the, the classic example for me is uh uh Vicky Waiting. Uh, it's just getting good at the end, and it, and it fades out. Right, right. Well, this was kind of like that, too, for me. Um, um, on the print podcast, right. I gave this one a 6 out of 10. But here, I have to increase it one. I think this is a 7 out of 10. It's a grower. And that's, see, it went from okay. 6 to 7 in a matter of a few days. I like this one. <laughs> Yep, yep. Richard, what do you think?
1: Well, first listen, I didn't, I didn't care for it too much. It was, it was kind of just a song. And then I put headphones on and listened to it and it changed me completely. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in there. And the lyrics are kind of depressing, kind of sad actually. They are. They're sad. (laughs)
2: yeah. uh,
1: so, so it makes me wonder who uh who tracked the CD, like who who put them in the order that they put them in, because you, why would you wedge that song in between Velvet Kitty Cat and We Can Fuck? <laughs> right, but so, you know what I mean. It's like there's a mood going. You go from wonderful, cat, wonderful ass, Velvet Kitty Cat, and then you go to somebody who's possibly been abused, and then you go to We Can Fuck. Like, who does that? It should have been wonderful ass, and then we can fuck, and then. Katrina's
0: Paper Dolls after that, and then Father's Song. Absolutely, yeah. Katrina, Katrina's Paper Dolls does kind of say ease into the, the melancholy vibe of Father's Song a bit more. So,
1: right. yeah, the, the sequencing question is very, very interesting. And while we're on it, actually, I believe Dance Electric is just way too long of a song to start off a CD with. It should have been closer to the end. And I, honestly, I believe Wonderful Ash should have kicked off the CD. Oh, that would have been think great. That, that would have been really think great. Think about those first drum kicks, you know. That would have been fantastic. Uh-huh. But but for the song itself, it's, it's a good song. It's, it's like you said, it's growing on me. Uh, if I can get past the uh, depressing subject matter of it, it'll it'll keep <laughs> <laughs> You know? It's a kind of it's kind of, kind of it? an interesting
0: juxtaposition though, musically and lyrically because musically you have this warm kind of upbeat yeah. you know vibe to it and then these lyrics are melancholy or sad or depressing or however you want to frame it so there's a when there's hear, an interesting there's an interesting
2: juxtaposition there
1: well, it's when you hear the lyrics.
2: I was saying it might be very well a song. It might be a song about innocence broken. That's why. Well, when, when I hear the similarities right. to this, it, it makes me wonder what the original version of
1: Purple Rain even was. Because if this was supposed to be in Purple Rain, like what was what was at the Vanity Apollonia character like? Because we don't know anything about Vanity. I mean, Apollonia, at all. So right, right. It almost it almost exactly. song, it, it almost sounds like this song is about Prince's character in the movie, but as a woman. Ooh,
2: that's interesting. Well, I'll tell you, if, you done, if you haven't done it yet, if you want to give yourself an interesting read, get that original draft of Purple Rain. I haven't. I just I have never I haven't read it yet. Oh man, that's, that's that should have been done. <laughs> it's interesting.
1: I read I read the Graffiti Bridge one, and it was it took about ten minutes, and
2: it really wasn't any better than the movie, so. <laughs> Okay, you know what? Uh, you, you said it, so I'm going to mention this here. Uh, Graffiti Bridge. Very easy yeah. movie to to make better if you add five seconds to it. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is add five seconds to it. The movie will okay. play out. The movie will play out. The credits will roll. the, the and then he wakes stage, up at the end. And then, it, then he wakes up at the end. <laughs> yeah, and, i thought that like, before. Oh. <laughs> Man, <laughs> he wakes up in, in his dressing room, in the Purple Rain dresser, in the First Avenue dressing room, in his Purple Rain garb and everything. He wakes up, you know, and then he goes out there to, to perform, you know, I, I would die for you, always, Purple, I, He goes always out there thought, to perform Purple Rain.
1: <laughs> I always thought he would just, he'd be sitting in the same chair he was in Purple Rain, you know, in the dressing mm-hmm. room. And he'd just, he'd just start himself awake, you know, and then he'd just kind of go, what the hell? And then it
2: would just fade out. That was it. Yeah, that's the end. Of yeah, <laughs> let that be the extra scene at the very end, like all superhero movies have nowadays. Let that be the little scene at the end, and there, everything is yeah. resolved. Happy day. Yeah. It was all a dream, and and yeah. nobody's got Anyhow. to explain
1: nobody's got to explain T C L S at all.
2: Nope, nope. Because well, you sure Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then
0: we're to the pro- probably well, not probably, really the most debated talked about track in the collection, I would say is the original version of We Can Funk from Graffiti Bridge. This is the Mm. original take from from 83 recorded at Sunset Sound in Hollywood and it's called We Can Funk." Of course, it's centered on the packaging for probably good reasons. But it's strange to me, to begin with, that they would put out a uh, song that's so graphically themed on a, a release that's meant to be targeted to a mass audience. And I don't know, maybe, maybe they've done that Maybe Prince has done that before, maybe I'm overreacting somewhat, but I don't know, it just surprises me that this is on, this is on a release that's supposed to be marketed to the public at large. But then again, Prince was known in the 80s to be shocking, and you do have Darling Nikki, so maybe it's not as big a stretch as I'm imagining, but it's a surprise, definitely to have it on here. Um, I will say that I think This for me is the definitive version of the song And it's so much It's so much better than the Graffiti Bridge version Miles and miles above it I think I don't know I just love how Minimalist it is How much more minimalist it is Than the Graffiti Bridge version I love the backmasking on the vocals adds a creepy, creepy, kind of stalkery vocal effect to it. And the breakdown, the breakdown in the, after the the whole uh, blow the candle out section, the breakdown is just sick. It's as sick as anything that Prince has ever written or come out with. Um, and it, this is a longer track, but, it's riveting all the way through, and it doesn't get boring at all. It's just a great track. I mean, there's not much more I could say about it. It's Like I said, it's miles above the graffiti Bridge version. I have nothing against George Clinton, but, you know, that whole chant of, there's hunking over here and over there ain't shit, you know, I always thought was kind of cheesy and out of place and kind of a what-the-hell moment for me but uh and this doesn't have any of that it's just the track it's obvi- obviously the version of the track that the graffiti bridge version was built upon but this is just a track uh I don't want to say bare bones cuz that doesn't do the song justice but I mean it's it's the stripped down version of the graffiti bridge version and in my opinion is far superior. Definitely one of the top two or three highlights on the whole collection. And I I just love it. This this for me, if I was rating it, I would give it a ten out of ten. No doubt. Ernie, what are your thoughts on a week and fuck? Sure. Um
2: you know it's funny that we were, you know, we went on a little tangent there on, uh, Graffiti Bridge and all, but it, it does segue into this pretty good considering that this was featured on Graffiti Bridge. And I will tell you, that skinny motherfucker with the high voice tricked me on Graffiti Bridge because I thought that was an original recording back then. And then here I hear this and, and it slaps me upside the head into realizing that, oh my god, this, this is the original recording. Now I don't really think of this as a, as a stripped down version. I think of this as a version of its time, um, because the Graffiti Bridge version, much like Graffiti Bridge in general, the movie, um, it, it, it suffered from the um, the 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 house party look and feel. Right, right. It seemed like 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 the people who made House Party made that. You had the same type of pacing, the same type of jokes, the same type of Structure and, and 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 it seemed like the song was trying to mimic. I don't know. It had like a house party type of feel to it, and house party was cool, but that was house party. Right. Don't don't try to do that because then it sounds like it seems like pandering, and that's what the the song, the graffiti brick song, kind of seemed like at the time. Don't get me wrong though on that because I like that track, and I'm not being hypocritical about it. I mean, I, I you like what you like, uh, but. This one here, yes, it is definitive. This is the definitive version of the song, as far as I'm concerned. Everything worked its magic off of this. Um, everything else, um, and this is the one to beat. I don't think it will be beat because this is stripped down in terms of how the lyrics are and the delivery. This one is. It, this one ain't pulling no punches on you. This one, is, there's nothing sexy in this song. There is nothing sexy in this song. This song is dirty. And it's supposed, to be, and that's what you're getting, you know. Uh, and and I'm okay with that because I know what I'm getting here. I mean, it's called we can fuck, we know what we're getting. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. And and like I, I like I I said on the other podcast, and it, if and I said that if the graffiti bridge version, it's that really hot girl who's wearing that little black dress dancing on top of the speakers. Then this version is that same girl dancing on the speakers, wearing a see-through thong and nothing else. And that's, what <laughs> is, you know, yeah, yeah. And um you know, uh, we have those, those those type of tracks. You know, the day dropping tracks. You know, you know what we mean by that. We know about silly ass Prince. Yeah. You guys know what, they, what a day what Oh drop- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Day dropping tracks, when when it, those old ballads that when they come on. Like Insatiable, Do Me Baby. Day oh, Dropping. <laughs> that's what's going on with that. And that's where <laughs> that term came from. Um, well, this is a non ballad and the only non ballad Day Dropping track. Because when this comes on, man, look out. You know, I may as well head, head to get a divorce because it's going to happen regardless. <laughs> this, this song is Princess Stare. You know, they said, don't look into his eyes, don't look into, this song is Princess Stare, that's why, (laughs) because (laughs) this song is something else, I'm telling you, and when it goes into that breakdown, takes you on a side trip, at that, what, six minute, 30 mark, and it don't come back for uh, almost damn near three minutes, and it takes you out there, and you're like, just when you are thinking, where the hell is this song going to, it just snaps you right back. Right back to the and, and, ah, oh, man, you know what, you know why you don't polish something? I'm going to tell you why you don't polish something. You don't polish something to keep it dirty, and that's what this song mm-hmm. does. It's unpolished, and because it's unpolished, it's dirty as fuck, and that's what I like. <laughs> man, this song, this song, and I'm going to tell it to you the way I said it over there, this song gets, well, it's unlike electric intercourse, which is sexy. This song ain't. Again, this song is dirty, and this song gets the spinal tap all the way up to eleven.
0: Oh, wow! The yep. Golden Trailer Award.
2: <laughs> That's
0: right. There yeah. we go.
1: Okay. Richard, what do you think? Well, you know, you said yourself that you weren't, you wasn't sure how. Anybody could put this on a CD that they're trying to market to the masses. But I think you answered your own question when you said this was the song. This was the, you know, because everybody feels the same way about these kind of songs that Prince makes. You know, the get-offs and the pee controls and, the, and all those different songs. Like, everybody loves Kiss and Little Red Corvette and all that stuff. But when you, when you really break it down to people and go, what's your favorite Prince song? They always name one of the nasty songs. They always yeah. loved Darla and <laughs> you know. You know, Windows Cry sold 100 million copies on the single, but Darla and when is the one everybody goes, I love that song, you know. <laughs> and, and this is one of them, and it's far superior to the one on Graffiti Bridge. Uh, I, the one on Graffiti Bridge had the same, it, it, what Daydropping said, it was, it's too clean. Everything's too crisp. Everything's too perfect. Everything's too on the beat. And it, that spontaneity is gone because he had done it so many times, I think. Uh, in the, in the re-recording process. But, and it's also it's far superior than the, uh, Graffiti Bridge version for two reasons, actually. Uh, one is that there's no, um, nobody's talking about peeing on anything. <laughs> I never really understood. Right, <laughs> yeah. well, exactly. I mean, that's ridiculous. So that's your, that's your two things right there. But, as great as this song is, and it is, it is a 10. It's not. Gonna, it's not the definitive version to me. The '86 version is still the definitive version to me. I miss Eric Leeds' horns in this version. Uh, and that, really? That, and and that, and that throw off to Nico and Nico plays that guitar solo as they as it fade out. I mean that. I mean you know I've heard that version since 1987, so that's the one for me. Mm. But, but really, no,
0: that's kind of lost on me. I gotta I gotta listen to that version a couple times because I think it's been years since I've heard it. And it's kind of awesome me, but I've heard people say that the a e six version is where it's at, but yeah. so I'll have to check that out on my own little uh homework for me there but yeah, I mean what a song and uh to go from that to father's song is kind That's of a jarring, jarring yeah, it is
1: it, it, <laughs> Definitely.
0: it's a jarring thing, but Again, who the hell sequenced the album? But um, Mm. I guess technically a compilation, not an album, but it should be a little better sequenced than it is. But the last track we have is Father's Song. Mm -hmm. And this is the track. You guys talked about tracks that you've been waiting years and years or forever to hear. For me, this is the track that I have been waiting for years and years to hear a studio version of. And like many of the other songs, like Electric Intercourse, you know, it's something different. It's something totally different than what I expected because I thought it was just going to be The simple piano track, you know, from the film and just a nice little simple piano ballad, you know, a little more fleshed out, a little longer, uh, with probably a little more vamp to it, you know, or refrain or whatever, but this is totally different and it's, it's right out of the, right out of the pages of like, uh, you know, a, a movie soundtrack like Blade Runner or Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something like that. And that, I, I say that in all honesty, but that's not a knock on the song at all. Uh, it's, it's great. It's really, really atmospheric. Uh, really, really somber. And it's, it's a really great, uh, reflect reflective, kind of introspective way to end the the disc and the the outtakes collection. Um, I'm glad we have it on disc. Um, When I hear it, I'm sort of transported to the part in the movie where uh, the kid is being interrogated by the cops after Francis L's suicide attempt. And I would say that that would have been more powerful music to have than the actual music that's in the scene. But that's that's the vibe that sort of gives me a sort of uh, painful longing vibe. But yet somebody on Facebook said, and I agree with her, that there's a there's a sense of Hope also in the in the song of the person that's playing there's a there's a sadness, there's a melancholy, but there's a hint of hope in there as well and I really feel that when I listen to the song and it's it's really for me it's really immersive, and it's a really great piece of music, and it really does what I think instrumental music should do is transport. The listener to another place and time and just sort of lose themselves in the music. And this is what Father's Song does for me. And I'm glad to have it on the, on the collection. And to me, it's like a, it's like a final parting gift from Prince, uh, to say, you know, hey, my, my spirit is here. I'll, I'll always survive through my music. And and here I am, you know, I haven't left. I'm still with you. So those are all. Those are just some of the feelings I get listening to this song, and I could probably go on for another ten minutes, but uh, I won't. At the risk of repeating myself. But yeah, that's. Those are my thoughts on Father's Song. Uh, Richard, what do you think of the track?
1: This is a standout track on this CD. Um, a word about the um, the uh, sequencing again. I, I don't think this is the right song to end the CD on because it's. I know why they did it is because Prince died, and it's emotional, and they want you know they want it, they want to recreate this song Purple Rain being on the end of the Purple Rain album. They want to leave right. that. But for me, it makes me feel too emotional and empty when it ends. I think they should have ended it with like we can fuck or electric. I mean, um, computer blue, like something that's you know going to pump you up. And then when it's over, you're like, man, that was a badass album, you know, or something like that. But yeah, exactly. This song, this song sends me uh, through so many different emotions, and it's not just when you're hearing played in the movie, you hear a sadness because of what happened in the movie. But when you hear this version right. of it, it it goes through, it starts off with sadness and it goes through almost like depression and then it hits you with sorrow and then it even, there's some anger in there and then there's. it goes through a really dark place at the end, which makes me think of the scene where he was imagining hanging himself, you know, with it. Right, exactly. It, it just, it goes through so much and then when it's over, it never really brings you back up again. You're still down at the end of the song and I don't think that's a proper way to end the CD. The song, though, I mean, it's out of the park for me and I love it. And I, and again yeah. just like um just like uh, electric dinner course this is one of the top five songs I've been waiting for my entire life to hear and this one yeah uh, electric yeah. dinner of course i was I was not disappointed by this one like I was electric dinner
2: course
0: right
1: well going off of your comments where
0: would where would you sequence this song because it's kind of difficult to pin down you know in the sequence because it's a it's a melancholy song, and it's a heavy song, and there's so much going on, like you say, with the emotion from anger to hope to depression, yeah. you know, and all over the gamut. So where would you sequence it on the disc?
1: Probably, I would have I would have ended the CD with Katrina's Paper Dolls Father's Song, and then probably Computer Blue. Okay, so put Father's Song. Oh yeah.
0: Directly ahead of computer blue. Yeah. Which would make sense because the two same
1: musical motif.
0: Yeah, same musical motif. Exactly. Yeah, they're linked together. So yeah, that makes total sense. So (laughs) you've given rise to this thought of a resequencing of this (laughs) disk which I'll have to I'll have to undertake later, but it's a it's an interesting thought. Ernie, what are your thoughts on Father's Song?
2: Father's Song, uh, you know, I feel that this is a song that I, that I shouldn't think highly of. Uh, but I do. The reason why I say it that way is because, uh, like you guys, it's a song that I've been wanting to hear forever. Why have I been wanting to hear the song forever? Because I like what I heard in Purple Rain when, father, when the father was playing it, and I could just imagine how the rest of it would sound where it would go. That had to have been just the beginning part, and that's probably going to be the ending part. Again, it's going to bring come back around to that again, but all the stuff in the middle has to blow my mind. He's got to go somewhere way different with the piano and do all kinds of different things and then bring it back to the the, the main song that we know of, the father song. So when I get this, it's basically repeating it over again, going to crescendo. So I should like it with my, with those kind of expectations but I do, and I like it an awful lot, and I like it because it builds an emotion. Any song should always build some kind of emotion with you. Every good song will do that. Even a song as simple as My Little Pill can bring forth an emotion of hopelessness and and being a druggie and just being messed up, you know, just from the way it is. You know, even a song like Had You can do it with as sparse as it is. A song like Father's Song, with with its melody playing over and over again, and I know that some people will be taken aback by the synth that gets thrown in there and think that it's unnecessary. Again, this is a song of its time. It is necessary, because this is the type of musical instruments he was dabbling with at the time, and this is what he would have done with it. Um it builds, and it builds to a crescendo, and it builds to a haunting crescendo at that. And true, it doesn't take you down from there. It's a bummer of a song in that way, but that's what it's supposed to be, because it was never meant but, to be, a, 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 you know, one can interpret it as a hopeful song like you do, Rich, uh, I'm sorry, like, like, like you do, Chris, but it does, I don't think it was meant to be that way, and that's okay, because if that's if his that's intent, then mission accomplished, you know? Um, it, it it may not be a, a that much of a popular song with folks, but I think it's a very striking and beautiful song um, I yes. think having having Prince speak a little tiny bit the way he does at the beginning is perfect and it belongs there you don't ever have the song without hearing him speak just a little bit, and I know maybe that's what he's saying, it doesn't really matter but uh, him talking just a tiny bit on it just reassures you This is the guy who did this. And listen to it and enjoy it. Um, It's just extremely sonic. And um, like I said, it invokes feelings. And that's a win when a song can do that. And this song does it very well. I have just one little thing from it that I wish it would have included. The little bridge on the movie version that the father is playing. The little bridge part after the main... Melody, that leads to the yeah. right end of it, that little part I wish would have been included here because I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of that song. Um, I agree. I agree. That's, that's what made me think this song is just going to go take off. If I love that little bit that's straight away from the part that gets used in Computer Blue, that little bit at the end was extremely beautiful, then how is the rest of it? Holy shit, it's five minutes long? Ah, oh, And then then we get what we get. Again, it's not a knock because I love it for a different reason now. I I had to reevaluate it. and um, But I do wish that one part was there, and that's why I knock it down just one point because of that. Otherwise, it would have been a perfect 10 out of 10. But it is a 9 out of 10 because of that. But it's not a shameful 9 out of 10 by any means. It's a very strong 9 out of 10, and it's one that I think is well-deserved. I don't know about it being a closer, for the same reasons that you pointed out Richard because yeah it leaves you on a downer and that kind of sucks you want to you want to step away from this thing fuck yeah that was badass and computer blue would have done that and um instead you're like ugh. well go back well, to I the felt, I felt like was pretty cool
1: i felt like when this was released that it would just maybe even be the exact track from the movie just longer you know just piano Playing, and then maybe maybe two three minutes long or something like that.
2: So right, That's when other
1: in, when, when other instruments started in. I was shocked, and me too. Yeah. And at first, I was kind of angry because you know how you are when like say when Star Wars Episode One came out, you're expecting one thing and you get something else. That, that's what that's what happened to me. But but the more instruments were added. The more emotions were added. Each, each instrument is its own emotion if you really listen to it. They they bring different things to it. And, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad, this is like one of the first times I'm glad I didn't get what I expected. (laughs) You know what? I, I
2: agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100% on that. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, any final thoughts on the collection as a whole? I'll, I'll just say that, again, I'll go back to the beginning and repeat myself that I'm very glad all these tracks made it to release. The, the sound quality isn't as important to me as the emotion and the intent behind the music. I'll echo Seth Everett's thoughts a little bit, where it would have been nice to have a little bit more info behind The recording of the tracks and the sources and all that, but in the end, at the end of the day, I'm just happy to have these songs released. And I think this is a very strong collection of outtakes. And if outtake, if future outtake collections can be like this, but, but maybe even slightly better and better sequenced, I think we're in for a lot of good times as as Prince fans moving forward into the posthumous era of his career.
1: Warner Brothers, if Warner Brothers can get it together and release all of his albums like this, deluxe versions of all the albums, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I'm in totally. Regardless of of the sound quality, I mean, I'll, I'll take what I can get.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, any other closing thoughts?
2: Well, you know, uh, my closing thoughts on this, um, technically it is a remaster. If you take a source, regardless of what the source is, and make a master track out of it, then you've remastered it. I don't think it necessarily what? needed one, but here we are, and there, there you go. Um, I've heard remasters that I like a lot more. Uh, the, the newest one to me that comes to mind is when I heard the remaster for Kiss's album, uh, Destroyer. I heard so many more instrumentation in that remaster. And so many uh, uh, instruments that were put back away have, were brought for- to the forefront and just made the song sound richer, fuller. Uh, there were versions of songs that were different. And, uh, you know, it, it was something to behold. But then again, that was being done by the, a couple of the members of KISS overseeing it, and they had the master tracks for a fact. Mm. So you can do a lot of wonders with stuff like that. And there are tracks but that are older, older than Purple Rain, and they sound way better than what the remastering that was done here. So I don't think it was necessarily needed is what I'm, what I'm trying to say, especially not Purple Rain. Um, but if I was to, if it could be redone again, and who knows, maybe you'll get another edition down the line if they're going to go the star the Star Wars route and just give us a new version every so many years. Um, I would like to see, I would love to see a true, complete soundtrack of this album. Yeah. It's a soundtrack. And it's yeah. not necessarily a Prince album, but it is a soundtrack and it requires that. Hey, he did it with, uh. Graffiti Bridge, where other artists were on the soundtrack. Why not right. hear Purple Rain. Include the tracks right. of that time. Include Apollonia. Include Des Dickerson with Modern Air, and, and include the long versions of the tracks when applicable. Let's go crazy. The long version should have always been on there. The dance version. Well, I've, um, well, I heard. You know, I heard actually that that was what was considered at the
1: beginning, but Warner Brothers did not want to pay more people than they had to pay. They didn't want to yeah. pay Apollonia and and the rest of Apollonia. They didn't want to pay pay Dez and they didn't want to pay the time anymore for their music, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So this is what we got. Yeah, versus what we get versus what
2: we should have gotten, though. It's it's probably the same same reason
1: Jill Jones was left off, I guess. Probably.
2: It could be. It could very well be. And don't you piss off Jill Jones? She'll go crazy on you. Hell someone. no! Don't you turn Do not talk about it. Joe Jones, I I love you. (laughs) Joe Jones, I love you. I love you. Absolutely. But, yeah, you know, I would love to see a full thing there. And how dare you put extended versions and not put the extended 17 days. Come on now. You can't do that. So that's got to be included. Uh, 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 Prince Vocal of Our Destiny has to be in there. If you're going to include Our Destiny, just put different versions of it. What's there to hurt? You know, and um, like I said, you know, you can make a full complete. Make a full complete soundtrack,
0: but,
2: then but, do the original soundtrack as it was presented for the completists, and give us uh, then a, um, an outtake of, of good outtakes like these here, and, and, and other outtakes included of the time as well, of, of them, of that 83, 84 period as well, and you but, don't like one of a, a collection there. You don't need the concert. Those could be done separately. Hey, more cha but, you know, as far as musically, yeah, give us a true soundtrack. I think it deserves that. It, it was a groundbreaking movie. It, it did very well. It deserves the kind of, that type of soundtrack treatment to it. You don't have to necessarily have to remaster everything, but just include everything. You know what I mean? Well, this, this three, actually,
1: I mean, rather than have all those edits on there, they could have they just thrown... You know more songs like Wednesday that we know was supposed to be on Purple Rain,
2: mm-hmm. and, uh, which is the cute, and, the cutest little track, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the and the like you said the Apollonias and the the Times and all that. Um, now that that being said, though, I I'm glad they did because Purple uh, Let's Go Crazy the single edit of that is my favorite version of that song because that was the song that. Got me into Prince.
2: Ah, and and, yeah, and it, it's, a long, it's a long,
1: it's a long story, and I hope someday I can tell it because it's really funny. But that's the song. I mean, that's my ringtone on my phone. It's like the beginning sequence where the words are all jumbled over one another.
2: Yeah, um, I never knew what he was saying that, back in the day. I was a little kid. Yeah, me neither.
1: But I, yeah. I played, I played the hell out of that single. So I'm glad that was on there. But I could do without like the, the I would die for yous and all that. That's that's unnecessary. I think the extended versions of "Another Lonely Christmas" and
0: also the instrumental version of "God." I think those definitely belong on this release, and I'm oh, glad actually, they're on you know,
1: there. They should have. They should have made, like he said, a, a like they drop and said. They should have made an official soundtrack with all the songs on it and put it. Right. The- a- and the love theme, the God love theme should have been, they should all have been sequenced in t- where they were in the movie. You know, they shouldn't be on right. like a third disc or a fourth disc or a fifth disc. They should mm-hmm. be in where they belong at. Right,
0: right.
1: I don't know why, I don't understand why people that are in charge of doing this stuff for a living, why they can't figure that out on their own.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know why either. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, you know.
2: It's not, it's not difficult. Yeah. I'm really rocket science here. Uh. No. But with all that said, I say do the remasters and definitely bring on Sign of the Times. What I say. Oh, my
1: God. That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. The one, definitely. I want, a, I want yeah. a box set that has Sign of the Times, Crystal Ball, Camille, you know, all the songs that we're supposed to. Uh, dream Factory, all the oh, songs. That I want I want the whole thing. I want a 12-disc set with all of it. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> Take my money. Take my
1: money now. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Oh man, the the price on that would be astronomical. But I'd almost pay it. I'd almost pay it. But
1: I wouldn't. Almost, I would probably. So I would? would. I would. There ain't even a doubt about it. I got thousands oh, yeah. of books, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to sell them just to get something like that. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
0: awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. I appreciate it. And uh, Richard, tell everybody where they can find you online.
1: Uh, I guess just Facebook. I don't. I mean, I have a Twitter, but I don't use it. I have an Instagram, and I don't really use it either. I mean, I, I put pictures. Everything that's on my Facebook is on my Instagram. So uh, it's all right, uh, Richard. Cool, yeah. Richard, Richard Rich One, I think it is. Yeah, Richard Rich One on Facebook.
2: So we got that, and day dropping. Where can they find you? Uh, very similar to what Richard said, you know. I, I do have uh, um, you know Twitter uh, at Ernie Wiles, but I'm not very active on it. Just I kind of just drop in every once in a while. And look, you'll you'll find me more active on Facebook. You'll search for me under uh, Ernie Wiles. I, it's E-R-N-I-E, and then the last name's W Y L E S. You'll find me there, and uh, you know, say hi. I'm not shy.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we want to give a shout out to all your other compatriots at Podcast Juice, Mr. Michael Dean, oh,
1: definitely.
0: Uh, Big Cam, Big Sexy and Sack. all you guys, we love you. One love. We're all one community and we all need to stick together now more than ever. So I appreciate uh, cross-promotional things like this where we can have guest stars and It's really, really cool, and and Richard, I know you've wanted to be a part of the podcast for a long time now, and I'm glad we finally got you in one. So thanks a lot, man. Thanks for participating. Also, my thanks to...
1: What's that? said, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't bore you too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not at all. Not at all. This was a good time. And also, my thanks to... Chuck Everett for stepping in and being with us for a little bit. Very much appreciated. And I guess that does it for this edition of the Purple Lights Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Peace and be wild. To get connected, follow us on Twitter at Pico Podcast or on Facebook.com slash P.K. Podcast.